back to the Doodles to Dollars podcast. I'm your host, Ksenia, brand and web strategist for Visionary Solopreneurs. Today's episode is so good. It was a pleasure to record and is full of so much wisdom. I'm excited to dive in and hear your takeaways. Today's guest is Harris Eddie Hill, an out and proud non-binary podcaster, best-selling author, coach, and founder of the Center for Childhood Trauma Healing a platform dedicated to supporting neurodivergent, queer, or highly empathetic adults to overcome their childhood trauma and begin to thrive. Shortlisted for the Positive Impact and Sustainability Speaker of the Year at the Speaker's Awards, Harris is passionate about demystifying healing and helping people to connect their own ability to heal. Clients take back their power from a medical system that doesn't always offer tangible solutions and doesn't always educate clients on their ability to heal. Harris has survived and overcome trauma, unaccepting family members, cancer, abusive relationships, physical paralysis, and mental health challenges, yet has found their way to emotional freedom and is now passing that power forward. Today, Harris shares about their entrepreneurial journey and key moments and learnings that helped them along the way. Again, this episode was pure gold to record, and I'm sure you'll feel the same once you listen. Let's dive in. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Give us an introduction. Who are you? Who do you serve? What do you do? All that good stuff. Sure. So my name's Harris. I'm a non-binary podcaster, best-selling author, and trauma healer. And in 2023, I set up the Center for Childhood Trauma Healing, and this is my fourth profitable business. So yeah, fairly, fairly old hat of the business stuff now. I've been in the entrepreneurial space for about 11 years. I've had breaks here and there. And, you know, where I started is very different to where I am right now. And uh, happy to share my journey and tips and all that kind of stuff today. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats for setting that up this year. And for 11 years, that is, I'm at seven. And even that to me is like, wow, how did I get here? It's a a ride. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So to kind of dive into it, I'd love to know your journey. Because I know when we chatted privately, you mentioned like all the different diverse things you have done on your journey. So yeah, I'd love to learn more. Yeah, sure. So it it all began, I used to have um, I didn't know this at the time, but I had a lot of work trauma. I, I'm neurodivergent and a lot of my earlier attempts at having jobs and being in employment didn't go very well. And it was never that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing, but just socially I didn't fit in very well and I didn't understand office politics and all that kind of thing. So I would put my foot in it a lot of times in a way that didn't make sense to me and I was just a bit unsure about what I'd said or done wrong. And in my early 20s, I worked for about two and a half years for an en- a small engineering company. That's a very male-dominated industry anyway. And I just didn't fit in. I, I must have really annoyed people a lot. And it got to a point where I just got pushed out, basically. They were like, we want you to find another job. We don't really want you here, which is illegal, by the way. <laughs> but I remember interviewing for these other jobs that were similar to the stuff that I was doing, sort of ad- administrative work. And I was interviewing for these companies. They're like, where do you want to be in five years? And I just found what was coming out of my mouth was so 
kind of depressing. <laughs> and I was like, I don't mean any of this. Like, this is horrible. I like, I really don't want to be here. And sure enough, I wasn't landing any jobs. I did get one job offer to be sort of telephone, like customer support for a, a holiday company. And at that point, I was sort of, um, had become kind of the office manager of the small engineering company I was working for. And they were wanting to pay me about an extra two grand a year or something to basically take a step back into a role that I really didn't want. And they really tried to jam this job down my throat. And I was like, I I think I can do something for myself that's better than this. I had never dreamt of being an entrepreneur. And earlier, one of the previous jobs I'd been fired from was when I was training to be a hairdresser and I worked in a salon. That's where I did my apprenticeship. And I thought, I'll just set up my own business. I'll just be like a traveling hairdresser. And surely that's got to be better. And it was the best thing that I could have done. It really allowed me this time to, you know, once you're working for yourself, you don't need to work 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. You know, working for sort of 20 hours a week with clients one-to-one was plenty and, and I could afford to pay my own bills and stuff. So I started as a hairdresser. A year later, people were asking, do you do makeup as well? So I sort of self taught myself. One of my main areas of study at school and college had been fine art. So makeup felt like an extension of that. I was just painting people's faces rather than a canvas. Yeah, close enough. And yeah, I was like, that'll do. And it turned out that people really liked my work and liked what I was doing. So I did that for about six years. And during that time, I also developed my second and third businesses. The second one was professional house sitting. And that all started with a friend saying he and his wife were going abroad for a few months so that she could have her baby in her home country. And they asked me to look after their house whilst they were gone. They just had like plants and stuff. (laughs) I didn't want their house to be like broken into because it was over Christmas. So I did that. And then more and more people started asking. So I I set it up. I made it a business and it also got me out of my family home. And the busiest times that I was doing that, I was out of my sort of family home for about two weeks out of every month. So I had this extra money coming in, I had space to exist and I was getting paid to have my own space, which was awesome. And then the third thing was that when I was 26, uh, I'm 35 now, so it's nearly 10 years ago, I realized that I was non-binary, which was a big surprise. And I started a Facebook page like anonymously. I didn't tell most of my friends what I was doing. And it was all a space for me to kind of talk about gender identity and share things related to that in a way that wouldn't annoy all of my own Facebook friends. And interestingly, a friend of the wife who I'd first house sat for had a theatre in education company. So she went around to different schools. As far as I know, she still does it. And they educated people through sort of theatre and production. So they might talk about sexual health or mental health or drug use and stuff like that. And she said to me, you know, a few of the schools I work with are now supporting trans and non-binary students. Would you come and do some talks? So I ended up doing this series of, of talks about gender identity in these workshops. And I think in the end, I think we spoke to somewhere in the region of like 1500 or so students, which was really intense and really interesting. And then I ended up educating businesses about gender identity and, and how they should think about that in terms of their own business and stuff. So I was doing all of these different things, but none of them quite, I was like, I couldn't imagine myself getting to 40 and still doing hair. I was having to have very regular appointments with the masseuses and stuff to keep my back 
in good working conditions so that I could do this very physically demanding job. And I thought, I'm not going to be doing this by 40, but I have no idea what that's going to be. And then in, at the beginning of 2018, I won or got gifted a, a ticket to this coaches conference. And at that point, I had been kind of in this world of coaching, even though I wasn't yet one. Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting to find myself there. And then on the final day, when the host of this this conference in London said, who who wants to have lunch with me and discuss like further training and stuff, I found myself with my hand in the air, which was a surprise. And I basically, I said to her, I'm going to train and do NLP and timeline therapy training with you. And at that point, I had no idea even what it was. I just knew, mm-hmm. I just felt very strongly that was meant to be there. And I don't know if you're a fan of manifesting. I, I like it. It's not like my uh, the only way that I think about the world, but I, I definitely like it. And I had very much manifested that ticket to the conference. And then the training was about three and a half grand and I didn't have that in savings. So this was about five months later that she was doing the training. And I said to her, put my name down, I'm, I'm going to be there. And about a month before the training was when the deadline to sign up was. And it was on the day, it was the final day. And this money just, I had looked everywhere for this money to do it. I had asked like my dad, I was like, is there any way you could help me? I want to do this further training. He's like, I'm really sorry. I'm not in a position to do that. I'd love to, but I can't. You know, I had looked at loans and I couldn't do anything about it. And the day after the doors had closed, a friend of mine who never calls me called me and said, I got a sense that I had to call you, which was really interesting. And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm just, oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. I'm feeling a bit down. I really thought I was meant to be at this training. Like, I don't know what happened. I really thought this money was going to show up. And she's like, huh, my divorce has just come through, including the sale of our house. So I've got like loads of money sitting in the bank that I'm not going to use for probably about five years. And to lend you that money would be a drop in the ocean. If you can pay it back to me within five years, that's fine. I was like, Oh my goodness. So she lent me the money and I text, I messaged the trainer and I was like, I know the doors closed yesterday, but would you still take me? She's like, yes, absolutely. So I ended up doing this training and I was meant to be, I'd met somebody. I was meant to be moving abroad with this partner, another non-binary person. And it all fell apart at the last moment. And I sold my car. I handed the notice in for my house that was renting with a friend. I'd sold all my furniture and I was like, huh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I ended up going traveling which I, I'm autistic and I love my routines and all of that sort of thing. And so I was terrified and people were like, you excited? I was like, no, <laughs> I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. So I ended up traveling. And in that time, I managed an international hostel in Australia. I lived in Indonesia for a bit. And then I came home because I had a, a breakdown in Indonesia. My boyfriend at the time had come out. We were meant to travel for a couple of months together. I was going to work online and a week in, he said, I can't do this anymore and left me on the, in this coastal town in uh, Bali, which I guess the, there are worse places to have a breakdown in. And so I ended up having to come home and then I kind of... so. The year before I had trained in NLP and timeline therapy, I'd had my own trauma therapy for my PTSD, simple PTSD. And just the headline, I won't go into any details just for the sake of people listening, but my simple PTSD was all around sexual trauma, childhood sexual trauma. So I'd had that treated in the space of two hours. And that was one of the reasons that I was like, ha, huh, there's something really magical here for me. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to train in NLP and timeline therapy. And sure enough, in that training, I learned how to help people to process trauma. And it's an almost identical method that was used to treat my own PTSD. 
So when I came back from traveling after having had this breakdown, I went back to that trauma practitioner and she had done further training. She'd done a master's in traumatology. And I said, something's still not right. And every time this thing comes up for me, I feel it. I recognize it. I'm like, oh, it's you again. It's a really specific thing. And but I don't know what it's called. I don't Mm. know what this is. I don't have words for it. I just, when it comes up, I know what it is. I'm familiar with it. And she did this assessment and she said, you have complex PTSD as a result of your upbringing, you know, family, trauma, all that kind of thing. And that was a lot to accept. And at the same time, it made me feel like I wasn't going crazy and that it really, this was a real thing that I was dealing with. And I finally had the words. So I went on and and had this complex trauma treatment, which was amazing, really life-changing, very life-affirming. And out the back of that, I was like, right, I'm kind of getting back on my feet now. So uh, after a while, I went and got a, a, re- a job job, which was, you know, I was employed by the National Health Service, the NHS that we have here, which is our healthcare system, and became a health and wellbeing coach. So I was looking after just ordinary everyday people, supporting them in managing their health conditions, their mental health, their relationships, all kinds of things. And the thing that was coming up with almost every single one of those patients I was looking after was childhood trauma. So they might have come to talk about diabetes, but the reason they were struggling to manage it was because they were having all these feelings that were historical for them. It was it was really linked to stuff from their childhood or from their parents. You know, if people were in these tricky adult, you know, romantic relationships or marriages, then often they were relating in a way that was ultimately unhealthy and they were playing out the same dynamic that they'd seen their parents play out. Some people came with addictions to food. And then what we found underneath the addictions to food, again, was childhood trauma. So it became really obvious that not only was I really passionate about this, and this felt like deeper work than all of my previous businesses, which I'd closed down to go traveling and and hadn't reopened them again. But also, this was something I was helping people with and and helping them to make progress really quickly. And I was like, I think this is it. I think this is it. So whilst I was in that job, I took part in some uh, spiritual business training and I felt really strongly that what I was going to be helping people with was this stuff around childhood trauma, but I didn't feel qualified to say that. And it took a few months of really sitting with it and eventually I went, I'm going to have to just do it. So with business, intuition is the thing that's taken me through and gotten me to the points that I wouldn't have got to otherwise. And I just had this really strong pull and eventually I gave in. I had this imposter syndrome, but I gave in. And in 2023, opened the Center for Childhood Trauma Healing. And like people just started turning up. I didn't even really have to do much in in the way of marketing or anything else. It just, you know, I've already got somewhat of an online following. So a lot of these people just started to show up and people I'd been on podcasts with were starting to refer people. And it just became really amazing. And it it was really affirmed that I had read my intuition correctly and that I'd followed that sort of inner guidance. And it's the deepest work that I've ever done out of all of my businesses and the most fulfilling as well. And I'm now helping people to recover from their childhood trauma in like 90 days. So it doesn't mean that they leave with no problems left at all, but we've, we've instigated this, this movement, this healing, and we've sort of initiated it. And then once they've been with me for, you know, three months, then 
They seem to be leaving with a lot more confidence, empowerment. They know what they're doing now. They know what they're aiming for. And uh, it's just really, really magical. So from beginning to end, roughly speaking, that's what happened. Thank you. That was, I know we chatted a bit about some of these things, but it was really honestly a pleasure to listen to you go through it again with more detail. So yeah, just based on what you shared, it's definitely your thing, what you're doing now with the center. And I like, I know NLP and timeline. So I know what you're talking about. I had a little period of time where I trained into it. So nice. I, know, I know the power. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, what do I ask next? Because that was so good. <laughs> I guess keeping that business focus going with all the different jobs, because they're clearly very different, like the hairdressing and the house sitting, and then even the engineering firm. Is there anything that you can see from all those points? Maybe it's different for each one, but that you've brought into what you do now at the center. I think my ability to read people is what was at the bottom of all of my businesses and to, you know, to, I guess, to put it crudely, to kind of monetize my ability to empathize and also really feel people's emotions and energy and stuff like that. I think it was one of the reasons that I didn't fit into the engineering space because, you know, I don't like to put things in such, um, on such a crude scale, but at the engineering firm, there was a lot of ego. There wasn't empathy. There wasn't that kind of I don't know how else to put it, but there wasn't much of that kind of, I guess, feminine energy, that that sense of collaboration. And so I think it's really clear to me there's this really defining kind of moment, this this pivotal moment. I like the moment that I lent into my own gifts, creativity, empathy, ability to be with people in their individuality and to hold that space for them. That's the moment that work and existing and, and making money as we have to in our societies became a joy rather than an obligation and a need. And I think for some of us, we're so definitely different in that we can't fake being anyone else that, you know, I struggle a lot to have filter. It doesn't mean that I'm unkind in how I deliver things, but I can't pretend to be anything or anyone else. And I think that's why my previous, my earlier forays into employment didn't work out because those environments were dreadful. And it was such a difficult thing for me to lean into getting a job again in the health service. But I, I recognized and I felt intuitively that that's where I needed to go next. But I was terrified. I had so much trauma around being employed before and the intuition really led me into a job that was safe, relatively speaking. You know, it wasn't perfect. There were bits and pieces, but actually my best friend from school, you know, we've been best friends for over 20 years. And when I told her I'm, I'm getting a job in healthcare, she was like, thank God. I was like, what do you mean? She said, you're a caring person. You're going to be surrounded by other people who also care about other people. Like that's the perfect environment for you. And I was like, why didn't you say this before? <laughs> And even in the interview for that job, I was so nervous. But even as I met those people who were interviewing me, I felt such a strong sense that, yes, I would get this job. And I had no, you know, it was quite, having been in the entrepreneurial world for such a long time, I didn't have like a traditional CV resume to send to them. And I had to really kind of shape it to be 
attractive to employers. And when they asked for references, I was like, I don't even know who to ask for that. So I ended up getting a reference, a job reference from the guy who owned the hostel that I managed in Australia. And I got a character witness kind of statement from the woman who trained me in NLP. And I was like, that's going to have to do. I've got nothing else. So yeah. But anyway, I just, I, I think when you stop trying to be something else and you lead into the idea that actually you have within you all the things that you're going to need, providing that you honour those, then actually it, it can go really well and it can go really quickly. I, I've heard so many kind of business gurus and there are some who are very grounded and they're like, oh, it takes two to four years to grow a business effectively if you're doing it well and to get an established business. And other people who say, Oh, if you lean into your intuition and you're, you're kind of almost like spiritually guided or something, then actually you can have a really thriving business in no time at all. And I think it's probably a bit of both, but I do tend to believe that what I've taken away from this is that when you, when it feels like you're floating downstream and you're not struggling to, to paddle upstream, that's when the magic stuff does actually happen. That's when it works. And there have been times this year where I was like, oh gosh, like it was such a leap to leave my job and to set up the center. But what I found was that every intuitive thing that I lent into every time I relaxed was when people started turning up and wanted to throw money at me. And not to say that that's the be all and end all, because, you know, ultimately the people who work with me, I want them to have amazing results and feel incredible and to kind of reclaim their life from, you know, a lot of the trauma that they've been living with. So you know, it's amazing what we're doing, but obviously we all have to eat and we're, none of us are starting, you know, there aren't many of us, I, I should say, who are starting businesses, having rich spouses where we can kind of spend our time, you know, take our time with it and just be really laissez-faire, like, oh, whatever, like it will come if it comes, you know, most of us have, have bills to pay and stuff like that. So I think it's to really honour all of the things that you need as an individual and, and to realise that none of that is contrary to business. That's when the good stuff happens. As an example, I have delayed sleep phase syndrome. So I don't, I can't often fall asleep before 2am and I'm no good before 12 or 1 in the afternoon. So I don't, I, I accept that. I don't wake up with an alarm. I find it really like a horrible thing to do. And in working that way, it's ended up working out for, you know, even my clients in the UK, a lot of them work during the day. So they want evening appointments. And those are the ones I'm happy to do because by that point, I'm in my best energy and it's all really working well. And, you know, I think like most people, I don't have 40 hours a week in me. So working for myself is more profitable, but also it honors my energy and I can show up for my clients at my best because I'm not overworked. And yeah, I feel pretty chilled out about it. There's so many golden nuggets in everything you just said. <laughs> I, yeah, for those that watched the video, I was like silently clapping <laughs> during a portion in it because what you said is exactly how I view branding and coming from the design and like having everything be branded and websites and all that stuff. It's like you get to the magic when you actually focus on you, not trying to be someone else, not trying to copy someone else's style. And I just love how how there's that connection and you can really see not just from like the for lack of a better word superficial branding side but also from like oh when you actually do the things you love to do that's when things flow so I 100%. love that I'm just here sitting and enjoying <laughs> tell me all these things. <laughs> I'm like I should be asking more questions but this is so good <laughs> Where do I even go? I guess I'm curious now if we, looking back on your whole journey, definitely the intuition and 
I guess, are there any other pivot points or kind of wake-up calls that you were like, nah, I don't know if this is it? I think the one thing that I'm thinking of is when that year when I retrained, that year I really knew it was over, that my sort of pre-existing businesses were just not doing it for me anymore because off the back of that conference I went to, one of the speakers there actually hired me to go and do hair and makeup for a conference that she was doing in the Netherlands not that long afterwards. And I charged really well for my time. And I, I, I was like, you have to pay this in full before I even leave my house to come to this thing. And when that money hit my account, I realized that I didn't care. And that sounds so bad. Like it wasn't, you know, I still turned up and I still gave it my all. But I think that for a lot of us, the money on its, on its own is just, it's not enough. You have to love what you're doing. You have to be excited to get out of bed every morning. You know, the money is definitely part of it because it's, it's an exchange. And I definitely think that when people pay you well, you deliver well. And also they're committed and they, they tend to really show up for themselves as well. But the money on its own is not enough. I, I, there's a, a guy who's been viral many times on sort of TikTok and Instagram. And he's, I think he's got like a social media marketing agency. And he's like, oh, I'm only 20 something and I'm already a millionaire. What's your excuse? And I actually challenged him the other day. And I was like, I think that the majority of those of us who do want some kind of decent financial reward for what we're doing. We couldn't do what you're doing. We couldn't do have like a social media. I, I said, you couldn't pay me a million to do somebody else's social media for a week. It just, it's not fulfilling. I, I, I want to like, even just the thought of it, I want to take my own skin off. Like I don't want to do. And I said to him, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's not transactional. Mm. Not to suggest that it necessarily is transactional for him, but I think a lot of these sort of modern day business gurus talk about like, you know, if you want to have money and you're fed up with being poor, then there's no excuse. I've given you this thing. I'm charging you like $97 for this, or you can join my group or you can pay me to coach you for like 10 grand or something. And, you know, there's no, no more to it than that. And I'm like, oh no, that's like horrible. It's so, yeah. so transactional, so dry. I feel like for a lot of us, having a business is like having a baby or even like a romantic partner. Cause that, that year when I realized that the hair and makeup stuff was, it was t getting towards the end and my time with it was running out. I think my dad said to me, he's like, Oh, I, I've, you know, he's, he, he's been part of this, uh, business coaching group for years. And he said, uh, Oh, I know someone in that industry and she's charging people all of this money, like every month. And all she does is like show up like what an hour a week or something to do coaching or teach people about certain things. And she's, she's a millionaire. She's making all this money. And to me, it felt like the idea of going all in with that business and trying to grow it to something enormous felt to me like marriage, like I would be committing in this really big way to a business that I didn't feel that deeply about. It felt like having a boyfriend or something and you're like, I don't see a future with this person. And it just wasn't enough. The energy wasn't there. Like I couldn't be excited enough about it because I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't passionate at all about what I was doing, but it, for me, it was a creative outlet rather than like a life purpose or something. And I think I really, really learned that I think if you start off in business, I don't know how it's gone for you, but I think you can start off in business with something that's sort of transactional and that gives you the space. You know, during that time, I did my first round of trauma therapy. I attended to my health. I improved my health. I went to the gym a lot more. 
you know, I sorted out my diet. I found out I had uh, celiac disease in my early 20s and then lactose intolerance and then soy intolerance. And having that business allowed me to do so much healing and attend to my own well-being in a really big way. And I don't regret it at all. It was perfect for what it was at the time. But I knew, I think I knew intuitively that this wasn't what I was going to be doing for a long time. And I couldn't commit to it in that really big way in the way that I'm doing now. So I I think that's the bottom line. Like, even if you don't know when you're first starting out that this this business you're starting is going to be the thing you take big or the thing that you do for many, many years to come, it might be enough that it's for now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Because sometimes it is for now. I mean, my I definitely have a different path. I went from university to a startup, which it was the whole experience in itself. It was in music tech. Great experience in terms of creativity, because as a startup, I could do whatever I wanted. And compared to like my colleagues that were just cropping photos in Photoshop, I like actually had creative freedom. But it was also a startup, which was very draining. And thankfully, but also at the time, I thought it was the worst thing ever. They lost funding. <laughs> and I just started freelancing and I kind of fell into it. But yeah, it's so interesting because there's definitely... At least from my perspective, I could totally see like there's a job for a season and you just get what you need to get out of it and that's it. And I've been in the same thing for seven years as a business, but designing for close to 13, which is nuts to me. And I've definitely had like the ups and downs and the lows. And I've only maybe once or twice gotten super close to being like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Mostly just because I was like burnt out creatively. But I'm curious if you feel the same way about what you're doing now, where it feels like it's this or like, this is it. There's like no other option. This is what I'm doing now. Because that's at least my perspective with how design has gone for me. Yeah, I think... What I'm doing now is definitely where I am. And this feels, you know, they often talk about in business, if you're offering a service, who who did you, especially in coaching, you know, who did you need five years ago and you become that? Mm -hmm. So I see that. And I also, I feel like part of my own trauma healing and trauma practice has really taught me that actually, I think whilst you're traumatized and you're really living with that, there's this feeling of like, I need to get this right, because if I make the wrong decision, that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. There's this idea always of a decision being good or bad or right or wrong. And I think on this side of it, having come out of that, there feels to be much more a sense of choice, like the choices or the opportunities or the possibilities are no longer hierarchical from sort of like bad decision to good decision, but they're rather horizontal in front of you in this, like they're all just different paths laid out in front of you. And it's, it feels a lot more like choice rather than right or wrong. And like, I'm safe mm -hmm. to make any of these decisions. And I don't know if this is what I'll be doing until I retire. I also don't know if I will retire, but this feels much more right than mm -hmm. stuff that I've done before. And it feels totally aligned. And the work that I'm doing with people feels super positive. And at the same time, I have ADHD and I as well. <laughs> but, you know, part of that is that I have to be, there has to be a sort of level of dopamine with all the things that I do and interest. And I don't think that, I think having a business allows me to kind of grow these things and to have evolution in a way that is much more difficult to have when you're employed or you're in this very set role that you yeah. could potentially be in for like 20 years. And also I think being self-employed 
and not having, you know, every hour spoken for also means that there are other interests. I'm a writer. I've co-authored two books and there's more writing to be done. I've, I've belonged to a writing group for, I think, seven years, seven, nearly eight. And there's a lot more writing that I want to do. And that's, that also feels part of my purpose and part of what, what I want to do with the life that I've been given. So, yeah, I think it's, I don't know if you ever settle, if you ever get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm done and this is what I'm going to do forever now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I totally relate to all of that because I'm also like, ooh, that's shiny. I need to try this thing and I want to try this thing. Maybe I should make this a business. So I totally relate to that. I think it is really about the evolution, right? And the freedom to do that when it's your own business. Like you call the shots, which for better or worse in certain situations, but this is so good. I still am like, where do I even go? (laughs) Yeah, I guess... With everything, with the years that you have in all the different businesses and what you're doing now and also with your training for people that are maybe still in their nine to five on the fence considering entrepreneurship or maybe they're just starting. Is there anything that you think would be important to either consider or even like actual tactical like you need this software? So there's there's a couple of things. One, the one thing I see that happens the most with new entrepreneurs is that they don't pin down what they do in a really simple language. And I see this happen all the time. And someone's, you know, if someone's in the sort of energy healing space, they might say like, oh, I help you to, I don't know, harness your feminine energy and all this sort of thing. And it's like, don't sell the modality, sell the very I guess, unsexy, uncomplicated version of that. So when people ask me what, what I do, I say, you know, one when I'm doing one-to-one work, I help people to heal from their childhood trauma in 90 days or begin healing from it or do the, do the main, the, the kind of main chunks of it. And to someone, if they've, if they don't know anything about my modality or anything else, they know exactly what it is that I do. And I feel like it can be like some people are a bit afraid to kind of niche down or be that black and white. They might also have imposter syndrome. They might be scared that they can't deliver what they're saying they're going to deliver. So I guess you have to do a bit of mindset work on that, but just make it really clear. I know businesses now and, you know, obviously the people whose businesses it is. I've known for a long time that they're a coach or they provide this. But actually, in our conversations, they've never used that like one sentence to make it really clear what they do. And it Mm -hmm. might be years before I've it's kind of settling. I'm like, I think I know what you do, but it's not the second you get that messaging right. That's like 80 percent of the battle, I think. And a lot of people just don't have that. Your your one liner, whatever that is, should be so compelling that someone's like, I absolutely need that. I recognize that I'm that person and I recognize that I need that. How much do you charge? How can I work with you? You know, it should, it should get to that point. And if your messaging isn't right, the money isn't going to flow in easily because people just don't recognize what it is that you do. If you start talking about what modalities you use or what you're trained in, people are already asleep. They've already switched off. It's not about that. You're talking about what is the transformation or what is the result of what it is that you're going to do together. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that as freelancers, entrepreneurs and all that sort of thing, it can be really challenging sometimes, especially if you've got times of the year that your industry does well and times of the year when people aren't interested. Because I'm in the mental health space, August and December, I've, I've learned this year, and not years where people want to 
begin their journey with mental health because they're either dealing with like school holidays and stuff like that, or they're too busy going outside because we finally have sunshine. Or in December, they're just like, oh God, I've got to get ready for Christmas. And it's such a gargantuan effort that they don't have time. And also, this is something I implemented. This second bit of advice is something I implemented in my hair and makeup business. So a lot of people would get their hair done, you know, my regular hairdressing clients who I do cut and hair colors for every six to eight weeks. So I would often have a month that was a bit crap. And then the next month would be really good. And I was like, this is just, you know, one minute I'd be like, oh God, I, you know, I've got to be really careful about how much I buy at the supermarket and like, you know, buy the the cheapest meat. And then the next month I'd be like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I can literally buy what I want to buy and not have to think about it. So I actually implemented in my hair business, a subscription model. And I basically, I think I gave people like 5% off if they paid me a certain amount every month, knowing that they would get so many services a year, according to their own timeline and what they would normally do. And it took out such a huge amount of the stress for me because it made that income a lot more reliable. And I stopped Mm. panicking so much. I stopped being stressed about things like that. So subscription models, it might even be that as an example, if you were branding, this is just an idea. But if you're like, well, I don't really do anything like that. Like I, I offer branding or I do things that are like one offs. You might say to that person, you know, pay me $10 a month and once a year we'll review your branding and you get an hour of my time or whatever it might be. There is a way that you can leverage that in a way that people are like, well, that's going to be much cheaper. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely a way that you can do this for your business. So subscription is really important. In the new year, I'm starting off. I can't, all the people that need help with complex PTSD, there isn't a lot of kind of official help out there for complex PTSD. Complex PTSD isn't even in the DSM-5, the diagnostics manual that we use to kind of recognize, quantify and diagnose you know, mental health problems and things of that nature. It's not even there yet. So I'm sort of in a world where a lot of the people who need to use me aren't going to find many people like me. I've got a fairly good, unique selling point. And at the same time, a lot of people don't have the money to work one-to-one with me because I don't, you know, this is not a $20 an hour type thing. This is a big undertaking. And I really, you know, my background in the gender identity stuff, like I was in this world of intersectional rights where I understand that a lot of people don't have a huge amount of disposable income. And so one of the things I thought of was that actually they could spread the cost across an entire year with me next year. And it would be cheaper than if they went to a private counsellor. And it would mean that by the time they're about halfway through this group course, that I'll be running. We'll do all of the kind of pre-work and all of the emotional work around integration and belief, beliefs and stuff. We do all of that groundwork first in a group setting. And then by about, I don't know, halfway, maybe just more than through the year, then I'll release, you know, for people who've paid the, the higher tier, they would then get six one-to-one appointments with me. Mm-hmm. And that means that I'm able to serve more people. It's more affordable for them and they get the treatment that they need. So that that's a win-win for everyone because doing one-to-one trauma work, I can't, you know, I know other other trauma practitioners who see maybe 20 to 24 people a week and I can't do that. I would go crazy. 
I couldn't sit in a chair that long, especially having ADHD. (laughs) So this is my second piece of advice. Start thinking about a way that you can make this a win-win for everyone, that you can get a subscription model as part of the way that you do business, because it will take pressure off of you and off of the other people and make it a no-brainer so that they're like, you know, I'd be stupid not to do this. This is exactly what I need. It might not be all of your business. You might still, you know, I still do one-to-one work, but having a subscription model alongside it just means that I know what's coming in every month and people are getting what they need. It's it's a win-win. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's my second bit of advice. Those are so good. Okay, great. This is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I personally am going to think about subscription because I I totally understand what you're saying where it does create that stability. And I think especially for entrepreneurs, because we're in charge of literally all the money that comes in or comes out, if we can create that stability that you would usually get in a nine to five, which arguably like you never know when that's going to go away. It's not that yeah. stable. Yeah. I just, I think to the times when I did have months that were really good, that knowing that that stability is there lets you be more creative, lets you actually expand and think about the growth of and the evolution of your business versus just, oh my God, I need to just work and get these hours in and get these projects so I can just survive as a human being. So yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And- Yeah, the messaging is so clear and a really good place to test that is actually networking, whether it's like in person or online calls. I've been doing a bunch lately and everyone has their one liner and, you know, right away, like within seconds, if someone's eyes have glazed over, (laughs) if they understand (laughs) what you're saying, if it even makes sense. So getting that clear is really important for your people. But I've also noticed that it's even important for me to know, okay, this is what I do. I'm this person and I help these people. And so I'm going to go there. (laughs) And at least with my brain, that's really helped to be like, no, this is the focus for now. Yeah, 100%. I think once once you've got that that idea and it's really clear to you, then even if you don't use that line, when people ask you, you, you're coming from this really uniform place. And often people buy from us, not, not the first time that they meet us. They normally need at least five to six touch points before they buy from us. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And if you're consistent about what it is that you do over and over again, even if you don't use the line, people will be really clear and you, you're you really clear and you can come from a place of being very passionate, very expressive because you know exactly what it is that you're saying. You're very clear about the story and why you do that thing. It, it, it just, to me, it's one of like those key things. That if you can get that right, everything else falls into place. It's, it's much less effort if you mm-hmm. can get that part right. I so agree. 100%. Yes to everything. With just being an entrepreneur, but especially because you do work in a very, for lack of a better term, like potentially emotionally heavy, like to be empathetic and to deal with trauma, how do you manage your own energy levels and like the self care so that you don't burn out? I think, first of all, to work in the trauma field and not have had your own really effective, very good trauma healing done then that's potentially, you know, I've met people who work in the trauma space who've never had their trauma treated and they still, they're like, oh, you know, you can't get rid of it. You know, you just live with it every day. And I'm like, I mean, that is, that is one way to do things. But, you know, my PTSD was treated in two hours. It's never come back. I've never had a relapse and that it wasn't magical. Again, this is something that I'm really passionate about and you can learn more about this in in my webinar, but you don't need to live with it. Like it, it doesn't mean it never happened. It doesn't mean you forget about it, but it just means that you're no longer activated. I can be in a space with someone where they could tell me something that's really big and I can be like, okay, 
you know, they're, as far as I'm concerned, they're telling me something that happened. You know, it's sacred, but it's their story. It's not my story. I'm there to see their potential and to see, you know, that them as a human being is, is wonderful and to, to encourage them that they are capable of moving forwards and all of that kind of thing. So I think to have had your own help in this area is, is super, super important. It stops you from over identifying with people and it stops you from getting activated every time someone's in that space with you sharing what they need to share in order for you to do this work together. And the other thing is just honoring yourself and your own needs. You know, I, like I said before, I can't, I can't work. I can't sit here and do an eight hour day. It's just not within me. You know, I might manage an hour and then I get up for an hour and then I'll come back and do another hour. But I generally don't see more than two, maybe three people a day. And I sleep at the times that are natural for me. I eat the foods that are good for me most of the time. If I want anything sweet, then I'll often make it myself because I've got time to do that and, and the energy to do that as well. And sleep is just super important. I try and get nine hours a night and bit of backstory, but my thyroid is recovering. It got triggered off when I had COVID for the second time in July earlier this year. And so it's currently underactive, which is make, probably making me sleep a bit more, but I've got time to do that. So I think taking your time, being slower with it, and also, you know, planning to launch this group thing. So it means that I'm not having to show up like for hours every day. People are still getting their needs met and I'm not overworking. So yeah, I, I guess just being really intentional and, and thoughtful and, and a little bit structured about how you do things. And yeah, making sure that you've done your own healing so that you can get into, you know, even on podcasts, I talk about trauma all the time and the things that I've gone through. And it's not difficult for me to share that. It doesn't take any bravery or courage because to me, it's just a fact now. I mm. feel nothing but love and positivity for my younger self. And it doesn't, it doesn't do anything to me now when I share that or when I kind of go, th go through that again in conversation. It doesn't doesn't do anything to me. It's just, I'm just sharing it from a point of view of this is information that might help people to feel seen and heard and to know that there's hope at the end. So yeah, the thing that I'm really hearing is it's just intentional, right? Whether like what, even with your messaging and with the subscriptions, you're really setting it up for success so that you're successful. And I know even looking back when I first started out, I was just like throwing things together. And even now, like I recently rebranded and there was a lot of intention with that and even to like, okay, what do I actually want to do? And it does bring a lot of clarity. And I think for anyone listening, like you don't have to wait until you're years into whatever you're doing. You actually can set yourself up for success by, okay, let me take some time. What's my messaging? How can I build more sustainable income and not just be like, ooh, shiny, <laughs> let me take on this client or this project. So Thank you. This was so great. To wrap up this hour, which I'm like, wow, it's already been an hour. It's been great. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. With this new center that you've launched and the membership that you're launching, kind of that subscription, where can people find you? Like if someone is like, okay, I need, I need Harris. I need, I need this. <laughs> or if they just want to see where you're at on social media and follow you, where can they find you? And feel free to share any offers free or paid. Sure. Thank you. So my 
website is Mux Harris Hill, which is spelled M-X Harris with a double R, Hill with a double L dot com. It's got all the links to my social media platforms, my free healing community. And I've got a couple of things on there that are really helpful. So one is a webinar which is pre-recorded so you could watch it immediately. And that's taking you through how to heal complex PTSD, how that works. It's not the same as talking it through with a therapist. That's a totally different thing. Nothing wrong with it, but it's not, you can't treat trauma by talking about it. That's not how Mm. it works. So I talk all about how that works and how it's possible. And the other thing is that for those of us who have a background of complex trauma and we want to have healthier relationships and be healthier people in relationships, I've curated a small audiobook curriculum. These are the four audiobooks that I've recommended to all of my clients and my patients over and over again. And it really helps you to build a framework of what healthy relating looks like, what healthy, you know, how that feels in your body, what it looks like in the people that you're attracting or the the friends and partners and relationships that you're cultivating. Because so many of us come from backgrounds, even if they're lovely, you know, lovely families that we come from, most families don't have all of that emotional and relational health. So I wanted to create a fairly accessible, easy way for people to start to understand where they are and what they're aiming for in terms of their healing personally and also in terms of the relationships that they're cultivating so that they can be happier. You know, our relationships and our quality of our relationships are really indicative of our overall well-being and how much we're enjoying being alive and being here. So I really Mm -hmm. want to, I really want for people who struggle with that a bit to have better outcomes, better relationships and to be happier. So that's why I put it together. This membership, is there a date that is launching or is it already launched? That starts on January the 9th. So yeah, it's currently enrolling. I conduct all my business online so everyone can do this from the comfort of their own sofa or whatever. And I've made it as affordable as possible so that people can really get their needs met and you know, kind of claim back their their lives from trauma because what it's like to live without it is night and day. It's, it's absolutely, it's so different. It's so difficult to explain what that's like. Um, And I, I wish, I wish that for everyone who's ready to to do that and ready to move on. The journey I'm taking people on is going to be, you know, there's going to be steps throughout the whole year. And Mm -hmm. I want to kind of be present because this is the first time I'm running it as a membership. It may be that after next year, then you may might be able to enroll at any time. But currently, this is just enrolling in January. And then obviously, if you if you want to work one to one and get it done in 90 days rather than committing a whole year, then you can do that as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm going to love editing this. Awesome. <laughs> so thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. I'm very excited for this podcast and I'd love to hear any feedback, what you thought about it. Please let me know as I want to make this a very useful resource for you. We have some amazing interviews coming up as well as some solo episodes. So keep an eye out for those. Subscribe if you want to be notified when those come out and have them automatically go into your podcast player of choice. All the links mentioned will be in the show notes and also on the podcast page on my site. And lastly, if you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a topic you'd like me to cover, 
please reach out to me at podcast at Xenia.co. And that concludes our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, please give me feedback. I want to make this really awesome for you. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.